Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the eighth week of our series called Off with the Old. This week, Pastor Mike will be teaching from Ephesians 5, verses 7 through 14. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, and without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. Now, throughout our study here in in this part of Ephesians, we've been using the illustration of clothing to help us understand what's being taught about the morality that God calls us to as followers of Christ. And, uh, and I'm using that illustration because that's the illustration that Paul uses. He talks about, in a sense, our morality is like a set of clothing. It's something that, that we wear and that people see about us. And, and he says the, the wardrobe, in a sense, of a follower of Christ should be distinctively different than, than the wardrobe of those that are in the rest of the world. Now, it's not just in the sense of the rules we keep. I think a lot of people, if I were to ask, you know, what does the Bible teach about morality, they would think primarily in terms of rules. You know, the things that we aren't supposed to do. Well, a good Christian doesn't do this or this or this. But as we're looking at this illustration of clothing, what we're seeing is that God's teaching us that the wardrobe of a Christian isn't defined by what we do not wear. It's not defined primarily by the sins that we avoid, but it's primarily by what we put on. Now, we have to take off the old to put on the new, but the true Christian morality is defined by the righteousness that, that not only we do, but that actually is who we are. And uh, see, it's not just, again, it's not just action. It's actually character that God wants us to put on that then illustrates itself in action. And so Paul introduces this idea back in chapter 4 and verse 22. And he says this, uh, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's the old wardrobe, the old self. That's who we used to do, what we used to do, what we, who used to be. And he calls us to take that off. We need to start by being willing to take it off. But it's not just then do, because he continues, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Because ultimately, and we're going to see this affirmed here today, that it's ultimately not just what we do, but God changes who we are. He renews us in the spirit of our mind, and then the result is we will put on the new self created after likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, that we put on something new. And uh, now what we've been seeing throughout, though, is that it's not just behavior. It's God's changing us from the inside out. He changes us, who, changes who we are. So again, a lot of people think of righteousness as just a matter of changing our clothing, of what we do, or of, of behavior. But no, it's about inner character. Why do I do sinful things? I do sinful things because I have a sinful heart. My sinful actions are just an expression of who I am. And if God, if I want to say, okay, I need to be changed, I can't just change what I do. No, God has to change who I am. Now, the reason that this is so important is that if we don't understand this, and if we just take the, sen- the, you know, the, the traditional moral view of things, what we try to do is, in a sense, we try to fight against our own nature. We try to deny ourselves from doing what we want to do and try to hold back our true nature, and that only works for so long. Sooner or later, the real me sneaks through. A great illustration of this was from the, uh, the old children's movie, Finding Nemo. And some of you might be aware of that. You know, it's this movie about this little clownfish, Merlin, who loses his son, uh, Nemo, and, and, and he swims the ocean to find his son. And early in the movie, he, uh, he and his friend are confronted by Bruce, a great white shark. And uh, the shark doesn't eat them. Instead, he in- invites them to a meeting and, um, and against the better judgment, they go to this meeting, and that's where we pick up the story. Anchor, chum! There you are, Bruce, finally. 
We got company. Well, it's about time, mate. We've already gone for the snacks and I'm still starving. We almost had that a feeding frenzy. Oh, come on, let's get this over with. Right then, the meeting has officially come to order. Let us all say the pledge. I am a nice shark, not a mindless eating machine. If I am to change this image, I must first change myself. Fish are friends. Not food. Except stinking dolphins. Dolphins? Yeah, they think they're so cute. Oh, look at me, I'm a flippin' little dolphin. Let me flip for you, I know something. Now, do you all have your friends? Got mine. <laughs> How about you, chum? Oh, well, I um, seem to have misplaced my uh, friend. It's all right, chum. I had a feeling this would be a difficult step. You can help yourself to one of my friends. Oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> a little chum for chum, eh? I'll start the testimonies. Hello, my name is Bruce. Hello, Bruce. It has been three weeks since my last fish. On my honour, or may I be chopped up and made into soup? You're an inspiration to all of us. Amy. Come on, give Dory, me. Cut Amy. Out. Ow! Oh, Are you yeah. okay? Ow, ow, I'm ow. so sorry. Uh, you really caught me there. You know I'm bleeding? Oh. Ow, ow, ow. Dory, are you okay? Oh. Oh, that's good. Intervention! Just a bite! Are you all together, mate? Remember, Bruce, fish are friends, not food. Food! I'm having fish tonight! Remember the steps, mate! Now, I love that because it's such a great illustration of what's going on here. If we think of religion just as keeping rules of things that we do or don't, the problem is that our hearts are sinful. And, and how do we stop ourselves from doing what we really want? What we're doing is we're like sharks who think that somehow we can, through self-control, we can hold back the true nature of our character. But the problem is, sooner or later, we get that blood in the water and the real us comes out. And here's what we need to realize, is that may be the teaching of religion. But Christianity isn't like any religion. It's not a set of rules, it's a relationship. And, and it's a relationship where God wants us to come to him and to confess not only the wrong things that we've done, but to agree with him that the problem is our, is our heart, is, is our sinfulness. We needed to, in a sense, not only agree that, but then give him the right to change us from the inside out. It's not just a matter of self-control, it's transformation. In any place where God says, okay, if this is out of accord with my design for your life, God, I give you the right to change me, which is hard to do. There's a hard surrender, but that's what the Christian faith is all about. Now, even in that, we might say, okay, but what does that look like? You know, if God changes us, then practically, I mean, it's a concept, but, but what's that look like? Well, that's what we're going to see Paul develop here in this part of Ephesians. We look in verse 5 and we read, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And first of all, he calls us to this idea that we are light, the nature of light. Now, I want you to see something that's really important here that's easy to miss. He doesn't say that at one time you were in darkness and now you are in light. He's not calling us to change our environment. No, he's not even saying that one time we were under the influence of darkness and now we're under the influence of God. No, no it's even deeper than that. He says not you were in darkness, darkness or in light, but at one time you were darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. See, we are the light. God hasn't just changed our surroundings. God has changed our nature. He's changed our character. We used to be, by very nature, darkness. We now are, by very nature, light. 
because of our relationship with the one who is the light of the world. And even think about this in terms of light and darkness in this illustration. You know, they're not, in a sense, just opposite. They, they also can't be mixed. And so even if you think about, okay, if I'm in a dark room and, and, or, you know, and I can't see anything, and I pull out a flashlight and I can turn on the flashlight, and suddenly that flashlight brings light to the room. It destroys the darkness. It's in a dark light room, I mean, I can see not only right where, where it's at, but it will cast some light all around. Now, even in this, in the ideal world, if I could kind of create this illustration perfectly, I would say, oh, let's turn off all the lights. Let's make it totally dark in here, and I can show you how this works. But it won't work in this room for the simple reason that we have all these beautiful windows, and it's daytime. And so as a result, we have all this light that's coming in here. And, and the problem is that I can't, I can't, you know, put screens up there, and I can't bring in darkness. I can't say, here, let me, here's the darkness machine, and I bring in darkness. Because the fact of the matter, if there's light, the light will always chase away darkness. Darkness isn't something that you bring in. By very definition, darkness is the absence of light. And uh, wherever there's no light, that's, that's darkness. Now, as we put this into our own life, as we think about what this is saying, is that God has changed us from darkness to light. Our character is different. It's not just that we were in darkness, we are now, we were darkness and now we are light. And, and so our character should be different. And, and, and in a sense, once we're light, darkness should have no place. Even in that, you say, but I don't always act as light. And, and we may acknowledge that. And we say, why is that? Well, one of the reasons is that God has changed our heart. He's changed our soul so that we used to be darkness, but now we're light. But our heart still lives in this body. And this body has got habits of doing wrong things. We've trained it. We, we have all these, these old habits, these old lifestyle things, and we live in this world that plays to those old natural desires. And so there's this battle within our life, this, this battle between this new heart that God has made new that's now light and this old body that wants to go back and do the old things, that, the old sinful things that we did in our, in before, the, the Bible calls our flesh. Paul talks about this battle in Romans chapter 7. Look what he says. Um, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but, I, but the very thing I, I do the very thing I hate. But if I do the thing I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but this sin that dwells within me. So Paul's saying, you know, I don't understand. There's something I want to do, but I'm not doing the things that I want to do. I'm doing the things that I don't want to do. But it's not just me, it's the sin that dwells within me. The real me is my heart. That's the part that wants to do, but there's a part of me in the flesh that's pulling me the wrong way. He continues, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's the flesh part. That is in my flesh. It's not the heart. It's the flesh. It's the old self. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do, uh, do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do, uh, do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. And so that's that whole you know, battle that he's talking about here. Now, what's the answer? If this is something we all know, what's the answer? Is it try harder, self-control? No, the answer is ultimately what Paul says in verse 24, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will, how do I have victory over this? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The ultimate answer isn't self-control. It isn't going to meetings. It's ultimately, I need a relationship with God, and God changes me from the inside out. And so, so we've got to realize that's the issue. 
And I've got to not only understand that, but I've got to believe that and pursue that. If I don't understand this, then what I'm going to do is that I'm going to, in a sense, if I don't understand how God has changed my heart and I need to pursue this, I'm going to either just give up and say, this is who I was, or I'm going to somehow try to, through my own self-control, you know, like a shark that's going out there and saying, fish are, you know, friends and not food. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to control myself. And ultimately what happens is I get blood in the water and the real me comes out. Now, we need to say, God, you need to do a transformation. I, I, I need you to do that, and, and I need you to come and to change my nature from a shark to something else, from darkness to light. And again, now, what does that look like? Well, we read in verse 9, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, here he gives a description of the fruit of the light. You know, and what is the fruit of the light? Now, think about this. Fruit is the natural um, product of a tree. So if you have a, an apple tree, it naturally produces apples. You can't get it to stop producing apples. I mean, if you have trees that produce nuts that fall, you know, we used to have one in, in our one house. It had these, I don't even know what it was, but these, these giant nuts, and it was every other year, and we'd be sitting outside, and they start falling into your head, and we couldn't stop it from doing that. That just did it naturally. That's the natural fruit. Now, he's saying here, if, if we are light, if we have this relationship with God, the natural fruit, the natural result should be all that is good and right and true, along with a commitment to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because light by very nature is always visible. You can't have light that you do not see. It always makes itself evident. And he's saying, if we are light, there will always be evidence. And what is that evidence? Well, the first one is what he says, good. It's a life of goodness and beauty. Um, now, even here we read when it says the fruit of the light is all that's good. What does it mean to be good? Now here there's even a definition of words. When we often use the word good, we often mean the idea of the absence of bad. So for example, if you have, you know, a child um, and, you know, let's say he came to VBS last week and, you, you know, we go to, hey, how was, you know, how was my son at, you know, VBS? Oh, he was really good. Now what that usually means is that he didn't do anything terrible. You know, he, do, he wasn't bad. He didn't get in trouble. Uh, that's what it usually means. And likewise, when we say, oh, that person, they're really good. Well, what we usually mean is they don't do really bad things. There is a definition that, or word that Paul could have used that had that idea, but he used a different word. The word that he means doesn't mean the absence of evil, but it actually means the presence of moral purity. It literally is often translated beautiful. So the idea that when we say, well, good is the absence of evil, it's the absence of something that is ugly. Well, he's good because his life isn't ugly. And what Paul is saying here, what the Bible teaches, is the life of a Christian isn't defined just by the absence of what is ugly in our life, but by the presence of what is beautiful, this beauty that other people notice. Good, good example of this, think of the Pharisees in the Bible. You know, the Pharisees, by the old definition of good, by not doing bad things, they were really good people. They were really focused on, on obeying the rules, on, on you know, not doing bad things and destructive things. And, uh, and so they were the ultimate rule keepers. But the fact is, is their life was anything but beautiful. They were, they were proud and they were judgmental and they were ungracious towards anyone who didn't live up to their standard. They were good in the sense they were not bad, but they weren't in the sense of being beautiful. See, God calls us to be people Who's, the light of our life is that we have beauty. 
that we live a life that is defined by joy and peace and and love and grace and and the pursuit of a Christ-like life that we have this, this beauty that other people notice. And we have to ask, is that true of me? Do people look at me and do they see something, a presence of a beauty there that, that's distinctive, that points them towards Christ, that should be the light of our life? It's not only in what is good or beautiful, but also what is right. And this is calling us to a life of integrity. The, the word there translated right is often translated as integrity. It, re, it has this idea of unity. When you think of integrity, it's oneness that all the parts of our being, what we think and what we do and and who we are in private and who we are in public, it's all the same. Now, religion, if we think about that, it focuses on keeping the rules, on the external. See, the inside doesn't change, the outside changes. Again, I think of the scene from Finding Nemo. The shark didn't change his nature. He was still a shark. But he's going to these meetings to somehow act in a way that is inconsistent with what the character of a shark is. And that's why it's humorous because we know how silly it is. I mean, no matter what they do, you know, shark isn't ever gonna be a vegetarian. That's not their character, that's not their nature. And, uh, and what happens is when we do that, sooner or later, we get blood in the water and the real us comes out. Now, what is integrity? Integrity is oneness, that the inner us is the same as the outer us. Some people say, well, integrity is who we are when no one's looking. It's, well, what if we're surrounded by our non-Christian friends who don't have the same value system Do we act the same way as we do at church when we're around our Christian friends? It's who we are when our guard is down, when we unexpectedly smell the blood in the water. Is our our action the same? The opposite of integrity is hypocrisy. And uh, what is hypocrisy? I love somebody's definition. Hypocrisy is someone who's not themselves on Sunday. Get that? A hypocrite is someone who's not themselves on Sunday. Why? Because Sunday is when they put on the outer, the outer garb. That's when they put on the act. And then we go out throughout the rest of the world, and if, if our behavior Monday through Saturday is different in the workplace or with our family when our guard is down, that's the real us. It's not the act of who we pretend to be. Do you have that life of integrity? That's what God wants to do in our lives. That's who he wants us to be. So it's not only a life of beauty, of an integrity, but also a life that pursues what pleases God. Look at verse 9 again. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, it talks about what's true, and then it defines what true is. True is defining what is pleasing or pursuing what is pleasing to the Lord, that we're trying to discern, we're trying to to pursue that. Even here, I love how he's redefining again and again this concept of morality. Because again, what we often think of is we think of morality as being what is displeasing to God. So we say that if there's something that's bad, you know, we say, okay, well, pianos are evil, you know, and okay, don't touch this piano. And so therefore, that's bad. Now, if that's bad, then we think of morality as saying, not only don't touch that, but am I allowed to look at it? Am I allowed to get close? Am I allowed to touch it with my elbow? Am I tried to, and we try to kind of play with this idea of saying, how do I avoid sin? Now, what we need to realize is that if we think of that, we're totally missing the idea of what God is teaching. We're almost like our young children that are saying, how much can I get away with? What we're really doing when we're asking that is how close to sin can I get without making God mad? I don't want to displease God. Well, if I get really close, is God really displeased? Is it, you know, when, when do I get in trouble? And what we need to realize is what God is redefining this is the fall of, the fall of, of Christ 
our lifestyle shouldn't be trying to avoid the things that are wrong, but trying to pursue the things that are right. It shouldn't be, well, that's wrong. It's like, that's where God is. I want to get as close to God as I can get. I want to do things that make him happy. And if I'm focusing on doing the things that please God, ultimately, the things that displease God, they're going to take care of themselves. I'm not even attracted to those things. My friends, this should impact every aspect of our life. You know, so if you're single and you're dating, it's not like, well, how far can I go without, you know, crossing the line? And no, it's how do I honor God in my dating relationship with every aspect, even the physical? Or, or, you know, what can I say that I want to avoid sinning with my words? And so what can I do? When is it wrong? You know, sarcasm, is that, is that wrong? Well, no, the question is, how do I honor and please God with my words? See, if we're light, then what we want to do is we want to have fruit of light. And it's not just shown in the things that we're not doing to displease God, but the things that we're doing to seek to please God. Now, the fact is, none of us are there. If I look at it and say the light is, well, doing what is good and beautiful and, and, and doing, having integrity and, and seeking to please God, none of us can say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. That's why I love the last fruit that he gives here. Because while we may not be there, the fruit is that we're growing. We're moving in that direction. That we have a lifestyle of, of ongoing growth. Look at verse 13, starting in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anyone is, anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Now, one of the ways we can misinterpret this, and I've heard churches do this, is that it has the idea of, you know, well, the children of light should have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose the sin that's in the world. And so we'll hear churches that will teach about the sins that are out there and this sin, and we're condemning the world, and we're not like them, and we're better than them. That's not what this passage says at all. You see, because if you understand everything in the context of this passage, what he's saying is not that the light exposes the sin out there in the world, but the more that our lives become defined by the light of God, the more it will expose the sin and the sinfulness in here in my life. It's what he's saying is don't hold on to the deeds of darkness, but instead embrace God's light so that it can expose the things that might be hiding in your heart. See, what we need to realize is none of us are there. But the sign of having this relationship with Christ is I'm moving closer to him. And as I'm moving closer to him, I'm letting him expose things. Because that's the sign of spiritual maturity, is that as we get closer, God is exposing us so we're becoming more aware of our sinfulness. Not only the wrong things that we've done, but the, the sinfulness in our heart. See, even if we look at this, we, we can you know, have so many things that we can hide in our life and we can try to justify and, and the world justifies it. And, and God, you say, no, our desire should be to please God, to walk with him and, and therefore to let him expose anything that would displease him. And so if I have that mindset, I'm constantly going to come to the Bible and I'm going to say, God, I know I only want to learn truth, but I want you to show something in me that you want, to, you want to strengthen, that you want to correct, that you want to teach me. Because that's what light does. It exposes. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. God, I need you to expose things in my life that are unfruitful, that are wrong, that, are, that may not even be sinful. They just might be unfruitful. They just are, they're not aligned with you. Why? Because if basic principle is increased light will always expose new layers of sinfulness. So if I'm growing to be like Christ, I'm growing to be closer and closer to him, that closeness, if he is a light, using that description, 
that will always expose something new. Ultimately, if, if I'm looking at this, what he's saying is because there's sinfulness in my heart, he wants to change that. Either I'm being convicted of sin or I'm not growing. Do I pick up God's word and do I regularly say, God, what are you convicting me of? What do you want me to teach? What do you want to teach me? And, uh, and ultimately, are we growing? If we're growing, that means we're getting closer to the light, which means we will see more of that. I love even what somebody said about this. They talked about, you know, if, uh, if you think you're green, you'll grow. If you think you're ripe, you'll rot. There's truth in that. If I look in my, my life and I'm saying, I think I'm green and I need to go to God's word, I need him to teach me, I need him to convict me. If I realize I'm green, I'm growing. If I think that I'm ripe, if I think I've got it, I'm already rotting. I'm actually going backwards. See, that let, leads me to ask a really tough personal question. We all have to ask ourselves, what is God convicting you about right now? What area of sin is God speaking to you? Even in this last month, is there, is there something that God's saying, okay, this is something I'm pointing out. This is something I'm trying to deal with. Now, some of us might take these way out. Well, God's telling me I need to pray more. God's telling me I need to read the Bible more. We all, all can say that. I mean, it's just like, that's, we all, we're all there. None of us are there. But what that's saying, in a sense, is, well, I need more of the cure. No, well, God's conviction isn't just about where we need more of the cure. What disease is God revealing? What about your heart and sinfulness is he calling you to take off? Now, if you say there's nothing, you know, God isn't convicting me anything, there's one of two reasons that that would be the case when you look at everything he's saying here. Either you're a whole lot more holy than the Apostle Paul, and you don't have anything yet God needs to work on you because Paul's saying to the end of his life, you know, God's convicting me, I'm the chief of sinners. So either you're a whole lot better than Apostle Paul, which I think is kind of unlikely, or you're not coming to the light of God's word with humility that allows him to expose that sin. Uh, you know, you're, you're still hiding in the dark and you're kind of taking God's word and you're keeping it at, at a distance. And why? Because the more that we move toward the light, there will always be increased exposure now, does that mean that my life isn't changing? No, it should be changing. As I've grown towards Christ, I hope that my light is bearing the fruit of, of showing that which is good and right and true, and, and, uh, and I hope that that's happening. But as I get closer, it's not only that God is changing me, but again, it's exposing layers of, of sinfulness, of, of you know, not only the things that I've done wrong, but the sinfulness in my heart. And I want to tell you, a mark of Christianity, a mark of true maturity is someone who really walks with God is always going to be humble. You cannot be close to God and not be humble. And if you're with somebody that might be a Bible scholar and, and they're really, you know, really confident and really you know, almost arrogant, that's not someone who walks closely with God because you cannot be close to the light and not have things constantly being exposed. There's a humility. And God calls us to live in that kind of humility. And ultimately, we need to see that we need that kind of humility and pursue it. In a sense, he calls us to wake up to the light. Look what he says in verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is a light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See, God's calling us to this intentional, defined pursuit of him. Why? Because practically, if we're honest, most often, the, most, the unwise choices that we make throughout the week, even the sinful choices, are seldom made intentionally. See, in my experience, very few Christians get up in the beginning of the week and say, how can I sin this week? 
You know, I'm just thinking about it. I'm looking for an opportunity to be dishonest. Where can I do that? I really want to pursue an affair and destroy my marriage. Boy, I'm just, how do I do that? Uh, you know, few of us get up and think, you know, I really want to destroy my spouse and my kids with some really harsh words. How can I pursue that this week? But the fact of the matter is most of us end up making some of those unwise decisions. Why? We don't go out with eyes open saying, I'm pursuing this. I want to, I want to spend time on my computer looking at porn. I just, you know, how do I schedule that time in? No, we don't do that. What happens is we, in a sense, go through sleepwalking. We go through life and we're spiritually asleep. We're sleepwalkers. We live in this world where there's evil around us. We have the flesh that's there and we're not aware of this need that we have to be transformed by God. We think we can do it on our own. See, we, we fail spiritually because we're asleep spiritually. That we think we can just kind of coast through life we can take one day at a time. We can, you know, just basically, well, I went to church on Sunday and, boy, that's going to give me all the strength that I need to be able to make you know, wise decisions and live like Christ throughout the rest of the week. No. See, we don't try to intentionally make bad decisions or sinful decisions. We just go through life and we don't intentionally pursue Christ. And when we're not pursuing Christ properly, then those bad decisions are the natural consequence. Like Paul said in Romans, you know, I do the things that I don't want to do. Why? Because I'm not surrendering to Christ. And look, if you look in uh, verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians 5, what does he say? There, look, therefore, uh, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Be wise, he's saying. What does that mean? You live in an evil world. Be careful. Be intentional about the way that you live. Why? Because we've got to realize Godliness doesn't happen by accident. Conformity happens by accident. If I'm unintentional, I will naturally conform to the standards of the world. I will naturally be influenced by the world around me. Godliness is an intentional pursuit that God calls us to. This is taught throughout the Bible, but one of the best passages in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. What do we have to do to be conformed to this world? Nothing, just live in it. We're going to be bombarded with his messages. That's the natural state of things unless we take other action. And so what does he call us? To not be conformed, but to make the decision to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That doesn't happen accidentally. Only when we pursue God's truth, God's word, and let him transform us by the renewing of our mind, then we will, uh, by testing, you may be discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Then we will have that life, which are, these are the same fruits of the light that, that he talked about earlier. See, I don't choose to be conformed to the world. That happens naturally. Uh, when I sleep on the dangers of the world, when I sleep on my own sin nature, that's going to happen naturally. I need to wake up to that danger. I need to say, God, every day I need you. I need your word. I need to spend time with you. I need to put my mind in the right perspective. And the more that I run towards God, you see, the more that I'm running toward the light and the light is changing me, so I'm becoming that. See, we don't make the conscious choice oftentimes to pursue sin. We pursue sin because we fail to make the conscious choice to pursue God. Why? Because let's go back to this whole illustration of light and darkness. Our problem isn't the darkness, it's the absence of light. When you think about this whole picture, what is darkness? It's the absence of light. I can't bring darkness into this room. There's a light that's coming through. I can't turn it off. If there is a light, it will always undo the darkness. 
Why do I have darkness in my life? Why do I do deeds of darkness? Why do I struggle with that? The darkness in my life is always a, a, an illustration of the absence of light. It's places where God's light isn't coming into my life. I'm not pursuing him in, enough. And if my life is defined by darkness, it's, I didn't put on the darkness, it's because I failed to pursue the light. See, what we need to realize, if I'm in a dark room, what do I need? I need to not curse the darkness. I need to turn on the light. I need to open the shade. I need to do everything I can to pursue light. And in the same way, when I look at the darkness in my life, it's showing me there's something in me in my heart that's wrong that God wants to change. I need to run toward the light because darkness and light cannot coexist. See, what is our need? Ultimately, if I want to live the life that God has called me, God's called us to wake up and to pursue the light. The heart of Christian morality isn't just trying to keep a set of rules. It's not just fighting against temptation and trying hard to do the things that we know are bad. Now, there will at times be fact, times that we need to do that. There are times that you face a temptation and, you know, just run from it and avoid it. And there are times that we will do that in the short run, but only in the short run because it's pointing towards a deeper problem. It's pointing towards a heart problem. If all that's my only, my only long-term answer, I'm like Bruce the shark. You know, I'm, I'm ultimately telling, you know, myself that, you know, fish are friends and not food and, and I can somehow control it and I'm, I'm, going to do fine until the blood gets in the water, and then the real me is coming out. No, God calls us to confess, which not only means to agree with him that I've done wrong things, but to agree with him about my sinfulness. My friends, coming to Christ, you might be here and you're, I'm trying to do right, and you might think of Christianity in terms of religion, of the rules, and you're trying to keep the rules, and you just can't do it. That's not the true Christian faith. That's not the faith of the Bible. It's the faith of the Bible isn't try harder, you know, tr- you know just control yourself. It's admit to God that you're a, not only sin, that you've sinned, but that you're a sinner. God, I ask you to forgive me, not only for what I've done, but who I am. And I give you the right to change me. And he begins a process to, to start to transform us from the inside out. It's not instantaneous. It takes time. But I give him the right to point anything out that is that is inconsistent with his character and to change me from the inside out. Ultimately, he takes a shark and he transforms us into something new. To use the imagery here, he takes that which was darkness, by very nature darkness, and he makes me by very nature light. And if if you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd invite you to do so today, to just call out and say, God, I need that. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to, to give me your righteousness, to change me, and he will begin that process That's beautiful. Now, this is also then to believers. Because if I pray that prayer one time, it doesn't mean it necessarily happens. There is an ongoing battle. An ongoing battle where I'm letting this, you know, between heart and flesh and trying to say, God, how do I become light? The, The light that you say that I am. And how do we do that? More than anything else, we run to the light. The closer I am to the light, the more I will become like the light the more it will reveal stuff that needs to be revealed and the more that he will not only change my behavior, he will change who I am. And that starts by, yes, being in church and and being in a community group, but then even beyond that, try to spend time in God's word every day and try to increasingly fill our heart with worship and with truth. And the more that I pursue Christ, if you come on a Sunday morning and you say, that's all you're getting, then I'm not surprised that you're struggling because you're getting a little, a couple hours of light and then you're spending a lot of the rest of the week in the darkness and should we be surprised you're being more influenced by darkness? 
No, God calls us to wake up, wake up to the battle, pursue the light, chase after the light. The closer you get to be the light, the more that you will become the light. He changes us from the inside out. And it's beautiful how God does that. Where he not only gives us the victory, but he teaches us to be people who learn to have lives that are fine by, that is good and beautiful and has integrity and, and pursues what is right before God. Not that we're there, but that we're increasingly growing there all the more as we walk with God. And that is it for this week's message. You can learn more about our events and community groups at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.